turn your architectural designs into stunning, immersive experiences with Enscape. This innovative tool integrates seamlessly with your design software to bring your ideas to life in real-time, 3D, and VR. With Enscape, you'll experience instant rendering, have the ability to make design changes on the fly, and present your projects in stunning detail. Ideal for architects, designers, and anyone passionate about visual storytelling and architecture. Dive into a new era of design visualization with Enscape. Visit Enscape3D.com to learn more. We built for $33,000 what the contractor had estimated at $200,000. This is Nadir Tarani, principal of NADA a Boston-based architecture and urban design firm. NADA is a firm that we look to when considering our business model, particularly around the implementation of fabrication. You'll hear that full conversation in a later episode. So you may be surprised to hear that the first discussion of business models can be traced back to an academic article in 1957. The concept didn't even gain traction until the mid-1990s. The concept, put simply, is how a company makes money. A restaurant sells food, or an auto mechanic repairs cars, for example. Joan Magretta, a business management writer, says that business models are, quote, at heart stories, stories that explain how enterprises work. A good business model answers Peter Drucker's age-old questions. Who is the customer? And what does the customer value? It also answers the fundamental questions every manager must ask. How do we make money in this business? What is the underlying economic logic that explains how we can deliver value to customers at an appropriate cost?" End quote. Within the context of how a company makes money, specialization and focus can further distinguish your business in the market. Using previous examples, a restaurant can focus on serving a specific dish that caters to a specific demographic, or an auto mechanic can leverage an expertise to service a specific clientele and type of car. For architects, we largely provide design services related to the built environment. Our business models can vary. A few examples are design-focused, executive architecture, design-build, architect-developer or clientele-focused, developers, homeowners, or business owners, to name a few. What approach would you choose to make money in this business? I'm Jeffrey Lee, and this is Emerging, a Gable Media podcast. When you're an employee, it's easy just to be frustrated that you don't get to do the types of projects that you want to do, or you got staffed on a project that's not as exciting as other things going on in the office. In the positions we were in, we were limited with the number of resources we had. We you know, obviously weren't in school anymore. We didn't have that at our fingertips. So we definitely had to reassess along the way. Obviously, I have a hard time with this too, because I don't like it's been something that we all talk about is how to include that and continue to include that in how we approach work. This is the podcast where you'll hear what it's really like to start a new architecture firm. In our last episode, we shared the origin story of how me and my partners, Lexi White and Chris Tarasi, came together. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to all the episodes to hear the full, unfiltered story behind our journey to start our architecture firm. After going our separate ways to build our work experience, we stayed in touch and continued to work together on competitions throughout the years. There was a competition in Los Angeles, the 
reimagine the traditional plot of land or right the fourplex the fourplex unit which is a really uh, typical typology here in Los Angeles in residential housing but I think in the middle of that we started really investing time and we were like is this going to are we going to do this for real cuz we had spent some time doing some competitions before together on the side really loosely kind of but then that one we really dedicated time to and we were like okay well maybe we could do this from time to time and it could materialize into something you know years down the line and so let's take it more seriously i think there were a few things at play also like it had been you know at least a 5 year mark since we had been out of school uh so we had a good chunk of professional experience under our belts so we were feeling more comfortable in that sense that we had you know seen some real world projects and i think you know we were feeling a little more confident in, in that regard and then also the covid thing we weren't really able to go out and socialize as much so we were all just kind of hanging around the house working from home so we had more free time and and i think that's how that initial let's do another competition came up and then from there we dedicated a bunch of time a lot of time to this competition got that conversation going and we decided you know it's it's what would it take to do all of this, I think it really was Chris just asking, you know, it, it's, are we ready to really do this? And then I think we were all kind of thinking about it. It made sense, you know, a little bit of burnout from our experience in, in the industry at that point. I think we all, all three of us had very different experiences, obviously, but the confidence that's built after, you know, working a few years, I think the question, can we do this was a little more achievable, maybe. I, th I think the confidence, also the frustration of working for other people maybe played in a little bit. Yeah, both for sure. Not to say we know how to do it better or the right way, but we actually, you know, we want some agency in what you're doing. And sometimes we felt like we so far removed from that, that let's, let's do this, you know, and we're doing projects that were so different too. It was just really fun getting back together with these guys and doing whatever competition we were doing. I think that's a good point you brought up also that not that we know how to do it better, because I think one of the things that we... <laughs> we definitely learned, do not. One of the things that we learn in this process, at least speaking for myself, is that you gain a little bit more sympathy for the hard decisions that have to be made by business owners. When you're an employee, it's easy just to be frustrated that you don't get to do the types of projects that you want to do, or you got staffed on a project that's not as exciting as other things going on in the office, or just other business decisions that you don't quite understand. But at the end of the day, business requires a lot of tough decisions. And I think that's something that we're learning and, and it gives us a little more sympathy to our employers as well. It's tough. During the COVID lockdown, the extra time allowed us to think more seriously about starting the business. But being by coastal our first step was to schedule regular meetings. Working by coastal is, is a difficult thing with time zones and also distance, but we knew that we needed to find a regular weekly time to start meeting, to start checking things off. So that was kind of the first step was kind of committing and and finding that regular time that so we could meet weekly. Relationships with subcontractors, several projects under our belt to go after more ground up and larger scale projects, five to seven projects a year ground up large scale. Uh, 10 years, five to seven projects ground up large yeah. scale. Oh, well, that'd okay. be pretty healthy. 10 years, I'll be 45. Christ, I'll be dead. Stop that. Oh my God. Come. 
<laughs> become recognized as a high quality design build architectural and fabrication design firm boom it's like we're there yeah. we did it yeah, guys yeah. so wait is that is that the goal design build firm yeah um yeah is that the goal <laughs> I mean, maybe it is. Maybe if we really do the contracting thing, maybe it is worth the money and everything to do that. My head, like, I want that. Ugh. This is where I'm like so torn because it's like, yeah, I'd be totally content with that. But then it's like, you can't design build a museum. Can you? I mean, no, I mean, at that scale of it, I mean, I don't think any investor would ever be comfortable hiring a scale of like an entire museum to just one design build company. They'd probably bring like a lot of people on board for that. I don't know, maybe. Not like every project we do would be design build. So what's your dream project? Project, 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 project. Just started kind of checking off what we thought we needed to do. And one of those was kind of defining our business model and business plan. And also, of course, looking at uh, Mark and Entree Architect and all that about you know, defining your business plan. I, I know it always says you don't have to take it too seriously. It can be, you know, one page to start off with. But I think we were very much trying to go by the books like, no, 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 let's detail this out. Our initial steps were marked by countless Google searches and a quest to gather everything we needed to lay a solid foundation for our business. One core element of the business model emerged from our shared background in fabrication, nurtured during grad school. I mean, we just kind of look back on what we had done before, right? We had a lot of fabrication experience from school, so we thought we wanted to really bring that in. I think we had written it into a business plan, being able to do material testing and that being a kind of a unique selling point. But obviously, you know, in the positions we were in, we were limited with the number of resources we had. We you know, obviously weren't in school anymore. We didn't have that at our fingertips. So we definitely had to reassess along the way, but we definitely didn't lose that part of what we want to bring to the table. So, you know, materiality being such a big, important part of it, we realized that uh, maybe that's because of our formal training at WashU, but we were so heavily research-based too. So that's uh, definitely started to make its way into a business model. Are you NCARB certified yet? Join the network of over 45,000 architects who have the NCARB certificate and expand your professional reach. By becoming NCARB certified, you are demonstrating that you've met the national standards for licensure, a qualification that can be an important factor for firms when hiring and promoting. Certificate holders have a streamlined path to apply for a reciprocal license in all 55 U.S. jurisdictions, as well as access to an extensive library of free continuing education courses. Learn more at ncarb.org. The other thing is we've kind of slowly found our business model through doing competitions, which is definitely a loaded thing. Competitions ethically are, are not necessarily great for the profession, but we also realized we needed to build out our portfolio more than what we had because leading into this, we had done a lot of smaller scale exhibition installation type work that really explored fabrication. And knowing that we wanted to grow beyond that to do buildings, which we had done in our professional careers outside of our collaboration together, we realized that we had to build our portfolio in that sense. And we, I think we thought the 
quickest way to do that would be by taking on some competitions together. So it was kind of a starting point. It also, you know, as Jeff said, we are very materially focused and that's always what we look for in a competition, one that hopefully results in a built piece of some sort or, or a built mock-up of, of some sort. But also like looking back, you know, because we did a few competitions that didn't quite land. And I think what we realized is a lot more about our working process. We really realized that every time we approach something, we are very research focused, whether it's material or more environmental or community or society based. We always step back and look at the bigger picture and bringing that into our business model for how we approach a project. Because you can tell potential clients like we use digital fabrication to make crazy looking things and a client potentially hears that i have no idea what digital fabrication is i don't want a crazy looking thing and that sounds expensive so i think starting to frame our business model around process and and working with a client to kind of find out their needs and and deliver something that they're looking for is kind of what we started to bring into our our business model on the tail end but it's it's a never-changing ever-growing thing Digital fabrication is a process whereby architectural components are created using computer-aided design, CAD, and manufacturing, CAM, technologies. Enables architects to visualize their designs and explore concepts digitally and efficiently. It opens the door to new possibilities in terms of solving complex processes and new approaches to improve design and construction. I remember reading an article, I think, when we were still in school, and it's an interview with Nader at Nada talking about how on a particular project they had designed something that was really complex in appearance and all the tradespeople they were working with said no that's going to cost you know millions of dollars you can't do that so the team went down to the shop and built up a one-to-one mock-up of it and said it's not any more complex than a normal stud wall that that you build it's just you know got a curved element in it but the framing is all a ruled surface for example so being able to communicate with both clients and tradespeople and, and show them that this is fab- able to be fabricated, we shouldn't have to compromise on design just because of, for lack of a better word, laziness to try to explore something new or try a new approach to means and methods in, in construction. Our examples of our approach lie in the graduate school projects and competitions that we've participated in. So we used terracotta, watered it down, Uh, loaded it into a hopper which then sprays it as like a mist and you build up this layer of terracotta so that's kind of like the material aspect that we're interested in exploring how do you take typical and conventional and organic materials that are good for the earth and find creative and unique approaches to applying them to a built structure and then in the class all about creating this light installation we were looking at ways of interlaying reflective materials between vacuum formed plastic or acrylic. So we used a CNC machine that Jeff previously explained to kind of create these undulating surfaces and and then vacuum sealed plastic with an interlayer of mylar, reflective mylar in the middle. So those are kind of all aspects of the materiality and digital fabrication that we like to explore and bring into our projects. To put in layman's term, we like to get our hands dirty. We like to mess around with different materials when 99% of the built environment is usually the same. You know, it's like light gauge steel studs or you got chip walls. So we started, you know, our relationship in a place where we had this free reign to, and we're encouraged to try different materials, try different construction uh, methods. And so that very much has made its way over 
to how we want to define our business now, but it's how do we leverage it, right? We studied existing firms for inspiration and understanding of how their different models function, its benefits and disadvantages. When we were working with Alan Organsky, we we went to visit his office and he did have a full working wood shop, which was really inspirational to us because they're doing really interesting timber and, and heavy timber projects. So that was probably an early influence seeing how his studio was set up and or him and his partner's studio was set up. And that was one, I think we were looking at Nada at the same time, C2 Fabrication. I think they came out of Cornell or no, uh, either Cornell or Cooper Union. And similarly, out of the school, three people working together had a business model that was fabrication, research, and architectural design services. And so we saw these firms that were just kind of starting to emerge like that. And it was something we were really interested in incorporating, figuring out how to do that. We also looked at, oh, one of us, does one of us need to get a contracting license? What are the liabilities and insurance requirements for operating a shop and an architecture studio? So that was all stuff that we were also researching to try to figure out the business model side of it. And do you have to have two separate entities, one for the fabrication, one for the architectural side? When it comes to your business model, you also have to be realistic about your situation. As Chris noted, there's a lot to consider with digital fabrication as a major component of our business model. Working remotely, we recognize that we face a significant challenge in this regard, which can be a point of frustration as well. Full realization of this model will take time. I, I have a, obviously I have a hard time with this too because I don't like it's been something that we all talk about is how to include that and continue to include that in how we approach work is digital fabrication because we're trying to figure out how to keep that mentality and apply it to what we do even though we're working remotely. And the bigger kind of long-term goal, I think we all want to work on more large-scale civic projects. So trying to figure out how fabrication ties into that as a business model. Like, are we going to be the ones building that library? It, it may work on a smaller scale, are we going to be the ones doing like the paneling system for some custom built wall and where do we want to put our focus and how, how involved do we want to be in all that or things that we've always been questioning because I think we really value the fabrication as an explorative tool to know how we can design in a more unique way uh, with emerging technologies but figuring out how to bring it into the business is, is definitely a challenge. In identifying our desired business model, we discovered the importance of stepping back to see the bigger picture, framing our business model around a process that could resonate with potential clients. We could embrace that same process-oriented thinking and rigor on each project, and even potentially rent space as we work towards having our own fabrication shop. One other aspect to note is that business and business models are ever-evolving. We ultimately must focus on working closely with clients understanding their specific needs and delivering solutions that align with their vision. It's don't invest too much time in it. I mean, if we're talking about the written business plan, we've found it's been an iterative process. So, I mean, obviously like be serious about it and be honest with yourself when you're writing this thing out, but don't feel like it's setting you in stone and that you can't make any mistakes or deviate from it. Is that horrible advice? I don't know. It's okay. I think that's I think that's real, Jeff. I think we we went overboard with, you know, a 30 page from a template. It took weeks. And I think that wasn't wasted time necessarily. We got a lot of stuff on paper and then we never looked at it again. 
but it was kind of, it was in all of our minds. And then I think, you know, as we continue to grow, we'll reassess that every year. And, and it, it's probably going to look so stupid with another year of experience. We'll be saying, I can't believe we thought that was our business plan, but that's, that's all part of the process. And I think it's a helpful exercise to get it on paper collectively, again, working with the three of us, finding consensus on what, what our goals are going to be for the year. It kind of helps out, lay that out. I don't know. This is obviously the area that I feel least comfortable talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just don't don't think. I, I would echo what they say. Honestly, don't think that it's gonna take. Like, take it seriously. Put some real thought and effort into it. I think the exercise of going through it is more of the exercise than actual the actual document. To be honest, <laughs> when we wrote our business plan, but it set the stage for constantly talking about how to adjust that model. As we continue to refine our business model and adapt to the changing landscape of architecture, one thing remains clear. Our commitment to experimentation, creativity, and a relentless pursuit of delivering exceptional architectural solutions. With a better understanding of how we intend to make money and differentiate ourselves in the market, it was time to understand the process of registering as a business. There are various business structures to consider. I can't wait to share our approach with you next time on Emerging. Well, but technically an LLC or an LLP is like fully removed from like personal finance. You know, there's different models, sole practitioners, your personal assets can be liable if something were to go awry. <laughs> um, so we, yeah, we also felt more comfortable being some level of removed from our personal financial situations. There's reasons why you, you know, it's worth looking at the different models to see where what's best for you or the people you're working with. Thanks for listening. Emerging is a Gable Media podcast. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend and rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps. And if you're looking for similar content, you can find even more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And before we go, if you want to jump ahead and find out more about us and our practice, you can visit us at lvl.studio. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry. With Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. 
And hold on tight for Season 2 where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as Chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK, the three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.